0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm Marshall Poe, the editor-in-chief of the network, and today we're talking with Brian Kaplan about his book The Case Against Education, Why the Education System is a Waste of Time and Money. This is a very interesting and, to some extent, disturbing book, especially for somebody like myself, who uh, was a professor for a long time and then left the academy, and uh, I still do some teaching, and I do wonder about the value of it. And uh, Brian has a lot of interesting things to say about that. Welcome to the show, Brian.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Marshall.
0: Absolutely. So I like the uh, subtitle of your book, Why the Education System is a Waste of Time and Money. Perhaps you could just explain that to us.
1: All right. So what I say in the book is that education, though it is helpful for the individual in getting a job, is really not very helpful for society because most of what you learn in school you will never use after the final exam. Uh, this does raise a puzzle. Why is that employers are so concerned about your academic performance in subjects that are completely irrelevant to anything you'll ever be doing? And the answer that I offer is that even when the subject matter is not germane to the job, Uh, employers can still use your academic performance to decide whether or not you are worth actually giving a chance to. So basically what you do with your education for the most part is to persuade or convince employers that you're worthwhile. It's mostly a way of getting certification uh, rather than actual skills. Now, as to why this matters, uh, what I say is, well, from the point of the individual, it doesn't matter very much at all why you're getting paid extra money for getting your degree. But from the point of the taxpayers, it matters a great deal. Because if what education does is enhance the skills of the workforce, this can really be better for everyone. But if what it's really doing primarily is giving certification, well, we can't all be certified as being the best, right? So I say the main result of expanding education as we've been doing for so many decades, it's not to get good jobs for everybody. The main result is just what's called credential inflation where you need more and better degrees just to avoid having your application thrown in the trash.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a historian, we, we would call this inflation of honors. And this actually occurred mm-hmm. in a number of different places of uh, France. It also occurred in Russia in the 17th century. I studied that extensively myself. So yeah. let me ask this. How did we get here? Why did I have to go to college?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, like, the, you know, the easy answer is you have to go because the competition is going. Now, as to why the competition is going to, I mean, it's it's really complicated. A big part of it, of course, is the government has uh, put in, put up a lot of money to make college very affordable, right? I mean, if you think like, affordable, what about like like you know, $50,000 at Harvard? Well, most people don't go to Harvard. Most people go to public universities, and most people don't pay list price. It's actually not that expensive, well, for the typical person who goes. Uh, so, you know, like, around 2011, is figuring that when you subtract out all the grants and everything else that students on average get, then the typical student's only paying about $40,000 a year in tuition, So, which is something, but it's not that much. Uh, so, you know, like, government has made education very affordable, uh, which means that, uh, like, you know, like, you know, a lot of you know, people, it's really easy for people to go. Now, on top of this is also just so much pressure from parents and schools to get everyone to go. And, you know, it's worth remembering that the typical college student is barely older than a child, right? So, I mean, I always ask my students, I remember when you were a kid and you were very impressionable and immature and so on, yeah. And then when you had your 18th birthday, you suddenly turned into an adult, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, no. So, I mean, like, you know, a lot of the people that are going to college really know nothing about the world. They're just ignorant children. And so, like, they believe what people have told them about what's so important to do. I mean, I can't remember if someone was saying that standard question when the U.S. president goes to visit a kindergarten is... You know, how many people here want to go to college? And you, just, you know, like clearly, you are leading the witness. You want everyone to raise their hand going, me, 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 I want to go, right? And, you know, society where people feel that like, it's so important to go, you do have an enormous number of people going. And that means like, that when employers are looking at an application pool, they can say, well, I mean, we've got like, you know, half the applicants for this sales job have a college degree. So why should we even give a chance to the people who did less? You know, why not go with the people that have that have already." Shown or, or 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 signaled that uh, they appear to be relatively employable, and like why should we waste even you know, why should we even bother giving an interview to someone who dropped out of high school when we have more when appl- we have more applications than we know what to do with.
0: Mm-hmm. You have a lot to say about a statistic which is bandied about a lot, and that is the return to investment on education mm-hmm. or just the return yes. to education. Can you talk a little bit mm-hmm. about that uh, sure
1: so you know, uh, you know economists especially have spent a lot of time trying to f- trying to compare education to other possible investments, so you know can invest in bonds, you can invest in real estate, or you can invest in a college degree all right so they you know they try to go and calculate this uh usually what they're doing is they're trying to figure out how good of an investment education is for the student himself, and yeah, you know, that's usually called the private return to education, or I just call it the selfish return to be a little bit clearer. And then sometimes also economists will back up and say, all right, fine, what is the, how good of his investment is for society overall, and that's called the social return to education. And that's where they're trying to figure out like how much does actually enrich the country if uh, if we send one more person to college, what does that, that what does that really accomplish? Uh, what I say in the case against education is that uh, the selfish return uh, to education or you know, like is pretty good. But the social return is terrible. Uh, that's, <laughs> and again, like, why is there such a difference? Uh, you know, like, you know, if I'm right that what you're learning in school, you're not really going to use in the job, then really the selfish return is coming at the expense of other people because you go and get more stickers in your forehead saying you're a great worker, but if you get more, then other people's stickers look worse. Right, I mean, very different. If you're learning actual skills, then you learn more, you earn more, but you're doing more, you're producing more, so that all, so the books all balanced then. But if the main thing that happens is that you get stickers in your forehead, you don't learn useful skills, but you convince employers that you should be in the front of the line. Well, then you're making more money, but it's really coming at the expense of the rest of society.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. So
1: one of the things that you say uh, is that
0: well. I'm putting words in your mouth, but let's see if I can add and it correctly. Um, the, <laughs> I pick uh, them you. Okay. All right. That uh, college is good, uh, basically school
1: is good for good students, mm-hmm. but not not so uh, good for bad students. All uh, uh, right. So the the really important thing to keep in mind is that there's a world of difference between trying to get a degree and successfully getting the degree. Yeah. Right. And you know, So you know, we like, right now about seventy percent of high school graduates start some kind of college. And yet, only about one third of them will will ever finish a four-year degree. All right, so you know that's a, that is a high rate of trying to do to get a college degree and then failing. It's not quite as bad for it's not as bad for high school, but still, uh, you know. So only about 75% of people who start high school actually finish a regular high school degree on time. Right? And as you might guess, we can predict who's going to do well and who's going to do poorly. People who did very well in high school tend to do well in college. People who did poorly in high school tend to do poorly in college. And people who do poorly don't finish. So what this means is that if you were really a very good student in high school, then you go to college and you get your degree and you get your bag of money when you finish, probably, not always, but probably. On the other hand, if you were a weak student in high school, then your odds of actually finishing your degree at all, much less in a reasonable amount of time, are quite slim. Right, and that means that it's not a good investment because it's so likely to fail. You know, analogy I like is you know imagine that someone were to go and look at a restaurant and say, hey, that successful restaurant makes me a ton of money, so I'll open a restaurant and I'll make a ton of money. And anyone who loves you will say, we well, whoa, we'll hold your horses there. Most restaurants don't succeed. Most restaurants are just a way to burn your life savings. What makes you think you're going to be the successful one when most of them fail? Right? And, of course, for a restaurant, it's perfectly fine to go and remind people of these harsh realities. But for education, we tend to just rely on wishful thinking and tell them stories about when it worked out rather than really look at the numbers and say, well, show me your transcript in high school and I'll tell you what your odds are. Mm-hmm. And another thing you point out, which is along the same
0: lines, is this uh, very peculiar – well, how to put it? That somehow the amount of schooling you have short of the degree is not cumulatively valuable. Mm -hmm. So it's the fourth year or the last year that really matters a lot. And I just wanted to say one thing about that. You can talk about that in a second, but I know that from my own historical research, actually Vietnam era um, mm-hmm. Sort of they were, Well, uh, basically, the, the army used to give people a lot of credit for years in college. So mm-hmm. if you had one year in college, then that might get you into officer candidate school. And they just stopped doing that. It doesn't matter whether you finished yeah. or
1: not. But, yeah. <laughs> so
0: so go, <laughs> please go ahead and talk about that weird effect. Yeah, uh, sure. sure. sure.
1: <laughs> so researchers call this the sheepskin effect because diplomas used to be written on the skin of sheep. Uh, the idea is that if you go and – look at how much extra money you make as a, as a function of your education. The f- uh, first few years of a degree usually give you very little. So, you know, like the difference in earnings between someone who's finished ninth grade and 10th grade or 11th grade is not very much. Similarly, the difference between someone who has one year of college or zero, one or two or three, uh, there's a small difference, but it's really not very much. Uh, and the payoff from these degrees seems to primarily come from crossing the finish line from actual graduation. Now, this is puzzling if you think the main thing going on in school is that you're learning useful skills. Because, like, well, what's going on? Do they save all the useful skills for senior year? That doesn't sound right. Uh, So then, on the other hand, if you buy my story that the main thing going on in school is that you're getting certification, well, if your society says that you're supposed to go and and finish four years, then the person who does three years and stops is really sending a very bad sign about themselves. They're basically saying, like, I don't care what society thinks. I'm going to do what I feel like doing at the current moment. And on the other hand, when you do finish, this says puts you in the group of people who finish what they're supposed to do, who conform, who comply with social expectations. And of course, a lot of jobs are about conforming and complying with the expectations of the boss. So it makes sense that employers would care a lot about this. But again, what this means is that if your prospects of get of actually finishing the degree are low then college is a very bad deal for you because you might get through one or two years, but that's worth almost nothing. You've got to get over the finish line if you expect to get much of a bonus from your your studies. Yeah. One of the
0: things I really liked about your book is that it validates and explains what all of our students always say when we ask them why they're in our class. It's not because (laughs) they understand what's going on in the class, but they know they need the credits – to graduate, can you talk a little bit about yeah. that? I mean, they really—they they know that it's—I—I I, don't—I really shouldn't use this word, but it, that it's sort of
1: worthless. Right. Well, there's two senses of worthless: worthless yeah. that you don't <laughs> learn anything useful, right. and there's worthless in the sense of it uh, doesn't help you to get a good job. Right. Right. And i saying, you know, like you know, school helps people to get good jobs. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't always work, but it works. Uh, but it, like, on average, it's quite effective. But in terms of learning something that you're ever going to use after the final exam, that's for school generally does very poorly. Uh, yeah, I mean, like you, I mean, what I often tell people is, you already really agree with me. And you know, because, you know, think about the way that you have pursued your education. How often have you said, I'm not going to take that class because I don't need – it's not going to teach me any skills I'm going to use after graduation. Right. And how often do you say, I'm going to take that class because I need it for graduation? Right, right. right? Like, like almost everybody, the class they're taking, it's all about getting to that finish line where they can get the bag of money. And you know, so rarely does anyone worry about the content of what they're studying. You know, if you're, you're in computer science, then maybe you say, "I need to learn these languages to be marketable." But you know, most people aren't doing a degree that's anything like that, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, I mean, I mean, like, like you, it's just just so striking the way that students instinctively approach this not as a, t- a chance to go and learn job skills, but as a chance to convince employers that they ought to be hired. They really are looking for the stickers, not the skills. I mean one funny thing is that there's this website, ratemyprofessor.com, where students review professors. And one thing you rate professors on is easiness, where more easiness is better. So basically <laughs> the lower the standards of the professor, yeah. the better like, like the more the higher the rating. Oh great, this guy gives out A's for nothing. Perfect. I want to spend my money to go and listen to the person who doesn't teach me anything. On the other hand, there's no rating for, like, job relevance of the class or anything like that. Hardly anybody cares about that. It's just about getting through. I mean, you know, like I mean, probably the, the easiest way to explain my thesis is this. The, what education really is, it's not job training. It's a passport to the real job training that occurs on the job. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no. I agree. So you
1: aren't there to learn useful skills primarily. You're there to get a, to get this passport, which then admits you from the realm of school into the realm of work. And it's in the realm of work that people actually acquire the ability to do a job. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned. It's about.
0: Um... I always tell my students this and I I don't – I might have gotten it from your book but I think I've known this for – somebody told me this a long time ago and that is education is a very weird commodity because it's one of the only commodities that you will pay for and then not go get. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to buy a car and then just leave it on the lot but you're not going to go to class. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, my former my
1: former coblogger Arnold Kling like to say that education is the only product where the customer tries to get as little out of it as yeah. possible.
0: <laughs> right. so, so know, I mean,
1: there? you know, like if if you could work at a deal where you pay tuition and then get straight A's but don't actually have to do the classes, how many mm-hmm. students would take that deal? Yeah. I mean, of course what's pretty striking is how low attendance is even when when yeah, your grade is on the line. Yeah. But yeah. uh, you know, like you, know, you know, I mean like your know, of course most college students you know can get away with it because the other students are are, are working so little. Right. I mean, I mean. To me, like the main puzzle is why is there such a big payoff for education given how little students work? And that's where I, where I have to say, well, it may seem really easy to those of us who've always liked school. Yeah. But clearly, given the, uh, the the low graduation rates, there must be a lot of people who find even the little that we're asking them for to be an immense burden somehow. And I mean, I'll, I'll admit I have trouble empathizing with it, but just the fact that so few students actually manage to finish what they start shows that you know, like, like it's, like there's something about it that leaves such a bad taste in their mouth that they really just don't want to do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I quite agree with you. I mean, the thing about it is there's that kind of self-selection that goes on, for example, in high school athletics. I liked athletics, and so I did all of them. But most people didn't. And of course, they didn't do them. <laughs> and why should they do them? I'm like, well, it would be nutty if they to did To get into college for right, college. But even like my kids, you know, so, well, one of them them, the two of them don't. I'm like, okay, whatever, fine. I'm not going to force them to do athletics. So uh, let me ask you this. Um, there, there are two, you know, essentially, I can you, you anticipate one principal criticism that I'm sure you, in all the reviews of the book, which I've read some of, it always comes up, especially from humanists. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and that is essentially that students are becoming somehow better people or they're learning some mm-hmm. sort of cultural knowledge that makes them I I don't really have the words for it. Um but but they yeah, yeah. they're being yeah. enriched somehow by this
1: experience. Yeah, you good education Good for the soul. Yeah. Good right. for the soul. Exactly. There you go. So can you talk a little bit about that thesis? Uh, right. So, I mean, you know, a lot of my critics peg me as like a knuckle-dragging Neanderthal economist who doesn't appreciate the finer <laughs> things in life. And I have a whole chapter saying it's it's just not yes. how it is at all. Like I like I'm a high culture person much, yeah. myself. Yeah. Yeah. But I say a few things, but you know, like, like you know, the main one is this: there's a world of difference between trying to go and enrich someone's soul and succeeding. And you know, we can sit around arguing about whether it's worthwhile to try to enrich people's soul. I find these arguments pretty convincing, actually. But none of this. Shows that schools actually succeed. If you want to show that schools actually succeed, you can't just go and look at their mission statement. You have to go and see well, how many students do you turn into lovers of Shakespeare? How many students actually are curious to study Greek philosophy in their spare time after they're done? Like you, know, like, like, what, like, you know, how many, like, you know, do they actually become kinder people or like whatever you might want to measure? And what I say is we've got a lot of measurements of how the well-educated differ from the poorly-educated. And the main thing we can say is that the transformative effect of education, like this non-economic effect that's improving them, it's very small at best. You know, like you know, We can just go and say, let's suppose that schools cause 100% of all Shakespeare appreciation. Still, that's 100% of almost nothing because almost no one actually listens to Shakespeare or reads them outside of the classroom. Right, And I say, you know, this, this is just very generally true that the stuff that school – the schools may have very high-minded uh, goals, but just because you say you're trying to do something doesn't mean you've done it. We, there we have to look at the numbers, and I just say when we look at the numbers, we just see that you know, like it has barely any effect in yeah, best-case I'm, scenario.
0: I'm a big fan of the numbers too. So one of the things you pointed out in the book that I found really quite uh, – kind of counterintuitive and interesting. So one of the conservative um, – criticisms of higher education is it's very left-wing and it's turning all of our mm-hmm. children into left-wingers. And you say that's just yeah. not true.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I mean, like, there's circumstantial evidence. That, uh, so it's not that conservatives are, are, are completely off base. It is true that the the liberalism of college faculty is off the charts. So especially if you look at like humanities and social science professors at research universities, then you're probably talking about like 10 Democrats for a Republican. Yeah. All right. So it's, it's an extreme left-wing imbalance. Uh, however, uh, the fact that the professors are very left-wing does not show that they are successfully brainwashing anyone. I mean, if you just look at attendance, that's a reason to be skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> because, well, you can brainwash people who don't show up. Right. You know, first of all. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, you know, like I'm sure plenty of professors will say, well, I may be very left wing, but I, I'm a scholar. I'm not a brainwasher. Right. right. And, you know, so maybe that's part of what's part of what's going on. I mean, honestly, I've been in enough classrooms where I think that most left wing professors do try brainwashing. I mean, they may not, maybe not conscious, but you know, it's just hard to help yourself if you think that your view is true and everyone else is an idiot. Then, of course, when you describe the world, you're going to be trying to persuade them to not be one of the idiots. Right, but I mean, but I think, the more likely scenario, though, is just most professors are really boring and unpersuasive. And, like you know, so students students may go and parrot back what they want, what they think the professor wants to hear on the exam. Doesn't mean that you've really changed their minds very much. Meaning, you know, like when people on Facebook share stories about how a generation's been brainwashed because twenty kids protested. Yeah, like, that's twenty kids. Yeah, there's so many. There's tens of millions of students we're talking about here. Yeah, so twenty right. kids doesn't show anything. Like it's, so like i mean it maybe those 20 kids had a, had a left-wing professor who got them excited but that professor also probably had 10,000 students who were like couldn't care less about this stuff so again like, like you know i mean i mean i i do think that it's you know it's it's very sad that there's you know that there are college campuses where a dissident speaker can't come and speak freely and expect to have a civilized conversation but still I I just when we go and actually look at the data on how left wing are college graduates who like actually go out into the real world and you know like like it's a it's a small effect but it's but, but like it it's nothing like this this uh like this sort of indoctrination factory model that a lot of people have in their minds so yeah I mean yeah you know, so you know this is one where I mean I really think that um you know, both sides are wrong. I mean, I think there is very heavy, heavy liberal bias in the classes where you should be most concerned about it. You know, at the same time, it's just not very effective because most professors are very poor communicators. And you know, if you understand the motives of the typical professor, your professors are not rewarded for teaching. This bit, you know, you know, <laughs> as long as you show up to class, yeah, like right. that, that's, that, that's plenty in most places. Um, you know, so like the rewarding for the research, and again, the research that, that uh, the professors write in general is accessible really only to other professors. It would be of almost no interest to it to an undergraduate. It's just you know, honestly, most of it is just very poorly written, and uh, you know, just you know, doesn't make much of an effort to really persuade someone who doesn't already totally buy into what the, what the author saying. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we, which, you know like, is that, is that a good system? No, it's a terrible system, but it's not a way to brainwash anybody. No. It's more of a way for a few ideologues to go and talk to each other in a closed room without anyone paying any attention to them. Yeah, it reminds
0: me of something that a scholar of China once said to me. He was from China. He had gotten out of the PRC, and he said, you know, in China, if you say whatever you want, They'll put you in a gulag. In the United States, if you say whatever you want, nobody listens. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I thought, I thought you were going to have them say they kick, they kick you out of the gulag. But <laughs> no, 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 no.
0: Nobody listens. Yeah. They just, yeah. Um, so the second criticism, the one I didn't read, and this is kind of a Burkean, Edmund Burkean criticism, mm-hmm. and that is that there's just something here in this education higher education system that is very valuable that we're just not able to measure that it works really well, but but we don't know why. It's just kind of a profound mystery. You know, Burke made lots of arguments like this mm-hmm. that, you know, so Parliament's very – it's a mess and, you know, it's a terrible system, but works, so we should really try to preserve it in some way. How would you respond to that?
1: Right. Well, I mean, I'd say that in your argument like that, there are a bunch of signs that you could look for to test it. Like if you say that – I don't know, like parliament. Seems like a mess, but it works. You might say, "Well, look, England has like had like avoided civil war for 150 <laughs> years in Burke's time. Yeah. Like we're one of the we're, we're the richest country in Europe now. Uh, you like you like think you like like for free." So I mean, that would be one where at least you could say, "Look, like, it seems like 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 you know, despite the complaints, that the system actually delivers the goods." So that's one where there's still something measurable that's going on. Again, you know, like there's measuring output, and then they're saying you understand exactly the detailed mechanism. Right. Right. And again, if if all you're saying is, look, I don't understand the detailed mechanism, but I know that it works, and here's why, and here's the evidence, then I think that's not a bad argument at all. So that's something that it's very reasonable to take seriously. On the other hand, if someone says, look, here's 10 arguments for why education's great – Eight of them are testable, and two were just not. And then all eight of them turn out to be wrong. And then you say, yeah, well, these other two things where we've got no evidence, that's the real reason. Yeah. That sounds more like the last refuge of a scoundrel. Yeah, it does. Right? So yeah, does. meaning I, like a general rule is you know, if someone says, look, what I do has both measurable and non-measurable benefits, and then the measurable benefits don't check out, it's a reason to be very skeptical about the other claims too. It's like, look, you you've just lost your credibility with me. Yeah, I would. I, 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 sorry, sorry. I, I, excuse, excuse me. I'm no,
0: I, I would agree with that completely. I'm, I'm, all, I'm always very sympathetic to this argument, though, that we don't really understand the mechanism, as you put it, and I quite like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't really understand the mechanisms of a lot of institutions in society, and we shouldn't probably mess with them very much. So let's come to the mess with them part of the interview.
1: What should we do about this? Is there anything we can do about this? Mm-hmm. There's tons we can do about it. Yeah. So I mean, the most obvious thing is just less. Like we spend an enormous amount on education. We put a lot of energy into encouraging it. And I say, how about we just dial it down, right? And say, look, we're not going to spend as much money on this anymore. We're not going to encourage it as much anymore. Right? And we'll, and this in this way, we'll allow people to start their lives at an earlier age. But again, like many people, after listening to me and nodding their heads, will say, no, 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 that'll never work. We have a modern technological society where people can't be ready to go and participate until they've had college. I'm like, <laughs> no, but you already agree with me. That's not true. You're not learning how to participate in a modern technological economy in college. No. You're learning almost the same kind of stuff that people learned hundreds of years ago. And like, it's not very relevant to the real world. It's really mostly a way of getting certification. So if our whole society got less, we could just start our lives at an earlier age and it really really wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. yeah. So that's a big part of what I say. And then I also... Push more vocational education. Same, you know, like I think it'd be you know like a big improvement if you know, like like in middle school people started being exposed to realistic occupations. And, you know what do I mean by realistic? Ones that a lot of people have. Yeah, no. I <laughs> so agree, mean, yeah. mean, I mean, right now we do prepare people for a bunch of pipe dreams. Like, oh, maybe you'll be a poet. Maybe you'll be a maybe you'll be a scientist. Maybe you'll be a mathematician. Maybe you'll be a novelist or a professional athlete. It's like these are all jobs that hardly anybody has. Right. So most people have no prospect of ever doing these jobs. Why don't we go and, and look at a reasonable forecast of actual jobs people are going to have in the future? Which could be wrong, but it's better than nothing. And just start, you know, like letting kids sample two weeks each a bunch of a bunch of plausible jobs. So like here's two weeks as an elder care professional. Right? It's going to be a really big job in the future because we're going to be old. Yeah, I I I am very sympathetic to what
0: you say, and I know that after I had been a professor for about 15 years, I was a true believer and. Um, What I determined was – and I did this quite on my own because none of my colleagues were saying this – was that I was training people to be professors – and almost mm-hmm. nobody is a professor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. That's totally what grad school is. And it's vocational it. training for professors. I just but, didn't get it. But yeah. even as an undergrad, we're sort of training them, you know, writing papers. I had jobs oh, in the yeah. real world, as a, you know, in the corporate world. You know, I worked in D.C. and well, I really had corporate jobs. Nobody ever asked me to write a 15-page paper about anything. Yep. Yeah. Ever. Two-page memo. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a two-page memo, and you right? sta- Yeah, and then you're going to read it. You stand up and tell your boss about it. It's like there's no 15-page paper. And uh, so, right. it, it, yeah, it got very frustrating for me and I got to say, I, I really liked your book very much. I, I, I appreciated it. Um, I, I, it's a kind of clarion call for a lot of us, I think, because definitely there needs to be some sort of educational reform. I don't know what kind that's well above my pay grade. So I'm going to leave it to you. <laughs> All
1: right. Well, I really well, appreciate that. Thank
0: you very much. We've been talking to Brian Kaplan today about the case against education why the education system is a waste of time and money. Thank you for being on the New Books Network, Brian.
1: Thank you and you can uh, easily get the book for about 20 bucks on Amazon. You definitely can. All right, thanks. All right, bye-bye. All right, all right. Bye-bye.